trick or treat, huh? Well, here's a treat. Or maybe a trick. I just went into my banker and asked for a $1 million loan. And he said, Boo! Then I told him, Well, look, what's wrong? My credit score is 460. And he said, I said, come on. I've only defaulted on the last three loans I've taken out from this bank. And he said, But there ain't no funny money here on this Halloween Spooktacular episode 2023 of Bankadelic. And today on the show, we have five. One, two, three, four, five. Incredible guests who are going to ditch the tricks and give us treats. Anil Goyo, the CEO of CoreServe. Marcel King, Chief Commercial Officer for Typhoon. Joel Thomas, Director of Operations at Jack Henry. Larry Prust, Managing Director, Digital Assets Advisory Services Strategic Resource Management. And Jake Tyler, Glia Virtual Assistant Specialist at Glia. They're all here. They've got their costumes on. And as the saying goes, I've got my mask on which is the same face I wear 365 days a year. Yes, you should be extremely frightened. So, with that, let the spooktacular begin. (laughs) Okay, great. Now that I have scared you out of your minds... Because if you're gullible enough to be on this podcast with a host like me, you must be scared now. (laughs) I would like to ask each one of you the perennial icebreaker question on a Bankadelic special episode. And for the spectacular this year, I would love to know the most creative Halloween costume you've ever worn or otherwise seen. And Anil, I'll start with you. You're up. <laughs> Thanks. This is Anil Goyal from CoreServe. Yeah, I mean, I think Halloween costumes tend to be typically in two categories. One is like scary. The other is cute. And I came across this costume, which was neither. And it was a pretty tall costume with no face and it was just like transparent you could see through but it had a full you know head of hair so you would naturally read someone's emotions or intentions but this was like just perplexing for me it was somewhat eerie and mysterious so it's kind of like well you don't have any data to read so what do you do (laughs) (laughs) full head of hair mysterious transparent that's got to be my son i think (laughs) (laughs) Marcel, your turn in the batter's cage. Marcel King, Chief Commercial Officer for Typhoon, and I am responsible for our product strategy, our sales and marketing. And Anil touched on the cute versus scary and then the non-costume, but I'm going to go on the cute side. I have a grandson. He's one years old. I should say when he was one years old, he was dressed up as a bunch of grapes in a bowl. And his head is one of the greats. 
So it was the cutest thing I could ever imagine, and I'll never forget it. And I just had my number two grandson here just last week, so he's got a hand-me-down from his bigger brother to be a bowl of grapes on his birthday. You know, I'm looking at my belly, and I'm thinking maybe I should go out as a pomegranate this year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm going to preface this introduction by saying Lee Weatherington would maybe be on this podcast today, except that I think he's buying this 20-foot tall stilts and his costume of death and doom for the holiday. So in his stead, we have the more than capable Joel Thomas of Jack Henry. Take it away, Joel. My name is Joel Thomas with Jack Henry. Jack Henry is the well-rounded financial technology provider serving primarily banks and credit unions. I've been with Jack Henry for 23 years. I served in various leadership roles, implementation, sales and marketing, data analytics, and most recently, director of operations. Really appreciate the opportunity to be with you all today. And yes, sorry, we couldn't be here. But as far as the most creative Halloween costume, so pre-COVID, associates here at Jack Henry would bring their kids into the office dressed in their Halloween costumes. One year, an associate brought her two young boys, probably two years and five years old, dressed up as Superman and Batman. Now, they were super cute. Won't deny that. However, she also brought her English bulldog named Flash, dressed as Flash the superhero. So cape, mask, two little arms, the entire outfit. So as you can imagine, Flash the bulldog stole the show. Never since I've been a sucker for dogs and Halloween costumes, but no one will ever compare to old Flash the bulldog. (laughs) Yeah, I can't say that I have anything nearly as creative for my corgi. He already thinks he's a human, so any costume that depicts him as a human, I don't know. Just not going to work. Larry! Yeah, so Larry Pruss, Managing Director of Digital Assets and Emerging Technologies. I'll be honest, I'm not much of a costume guy for Halloween, but I am a technologist, so I went AI application barred, and I asked it what was the most creative Halloween costume, and it said it was a costume designer, artist Sarah Tempa, in 2019, she had a costume that was a giant wearable everything bagel, complete with sesame seeds, poppy seeds, garlic, and even a fried egg on top. Apparently, it took her over 100 hours to complete and was an instant hit on social media. It was focused in numerous publications, including People, New York Times, and Vogue. So that's about the best I could do was using AI to get an answer for you, but that was my answer. <laughs> As this is a family podcast with wholesome values, I'm not even going to get into whether the everything bagel costume was edible. (laughs) 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 And finally, Jake. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm Jake Tyler. I'm from Glia, our interaction platform for banks and credit unions. So we help financial institutions connect with their customers across any channel. And as you may have noticed, I got a little bit of an accent. I'm from Australia originally. So my favorite costume that I ever cracked out for Halloween was Steve Irwin, back in the day, the Crocodile Hunter. So I wore that (laughs) in the US one time while studying in North Carolina. And as Steve would have said, it was a cracker mate. (laughs) Throw another shrimp on the Barbie. Yeah, so let's jump into it. And, you know, one of the things I love about these episodes is we can take a fun theme, but wrap it around real issues. And, geez, I was just looking at my phone not even a few minutes ago and saw something about Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX and the trial going on in New York. There's so much that has happened that has really raised some hackles and scared some people. And I'm wondering... 
all you fine gentlemen, what you might think is spooking the financial services industry right now when there's really no reason to be afraid and the floor is open. Yeah, this is Joel Thomas with Jack Henry. And a short answer to that, I would think, would be rising interest rates. Maybe the not so short answer, you know, thinking back to September's surprisingly robust job numbers, the biggest thing spooking banks right now is growing fears of another rate hike. Most banks I, I talk to say they'll slug through it, and we know they will, but the rates are an issue. And this just drives more fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Now you have surging deposit costs, shrinking on interest margin, and growing unrealized losses on fixed rate securities. However, so while these fears are valid, and we know they are, this is where it can get interesting. Whenever most FIs are paralyzed by fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that creates opportunity for any bank willing to make a move, invest in strategic tech, or pursue a new strategy altogether. So there's no reason to be afraid given there are proven strategies for excelling and capturing upside potential, even and especially in this type of environment. So interest rates, yeah, we just don't know what's going to happen there outside of being maybe notified that they could go up again. Lou, this is Larry Cross from SRM. I'd go with the technology, whether it's tokenization, digitization of money. I mentioned the kind of cryptocurrency and sham banking free. Certainly artificial intelligence, I would throw in that boat, maybe digital ID. But I think banks need to just remember, these are all just advances in technology. They're really not that scary. And with the appropriate focus and attention, there are significant advantages that can be leveraged. Yes, Jake here from Glia. I can piggyback on one of those. I'll take AI and its impact on jobs. I mean, I think AI and this new generative AI wave is certainly very transformational. I think there's a lot of fear about the impact it will have on jobs. And like any transformational technology, it will have a big impact. But just as we don't have quite as many humans plowing fields anymore, or the example I like was, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, we'd have whole floors of accountants doing calculations. And today, you can do all those calculations in Excel. And so I think AI is going to be a big technology, a big change, but we'll still have lots of humans involved. It's just another tool in our toolkit. Nothing to fear in terms of impact on jobs. This is Marcel King with Typhoon. I like the path you took on AI. I'm going to take the path on payments and FedNow. FedNow was launched back in July as you know one of the newest real-time settlement payment rails. And the fear is that a lot of these institutions are concerned about adopting FedNow because of the potential fraud. And look, I get it. You know, once it leaves, there's no guarantee you can get it back. But I think when you deploy uh, the right strategy for customer education, as well as you know, proper fraud management tools, you can mitigate that fraud significantly. In fact, one of the first institutions to launch a Star One Credit Union, one of our customers launched, and they're doing A to A, leveraging that now on the back end. And with the fraud management tools, they've been able to mitigate their fraud losses to a small percentage relative to even just A, a to A through ACH. So I think the key thing here is just making sure that you understand, you know, what are the proper fraud management tools that help you mitigate real-time fraud? And if you do, it's going to be a huge benefit to your financial institution as well as to your account holders. Hello, this is Anil Goel from Corsair. I think what's spooking the industry is really the fear itself. I think folks are just worried about everything and sitting in a corner looking to see what's next going to fall. I mean, there's just plenty of negative news around us. You know, another rate hike, commercial real estate market collapsing, 
student loan payments to begin, margins declining in banking, you got international issues with tensions in China, Ukraine now, the war in Israel. So, you know, you can keep going on and on. And it's something similar to what Roosevelt, FDR said, we have nothing to fear but the fear itself. And I think in many cases, it just leads to a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, you fear it. And the more we fear it, the more we make it happen. You saw that with Silicon Valley Bank, where people just feared that, well, everybody is taking their money out and I'm fearing and, you know, just everybody gets on that bandwagon and, you know, makes the bank fail. So I think there's a lot of that going around, fear of fear. There's enough to be focused on positive news around inflation starting to come down. Easy money days are over, but it might be a good thing because there's that focusing on fundamentals of business. I think that's when the companies and the banking industry starts to focus on core relationships, core fundamentals and what they're good at. This period is going to be over and will come out better. I agree. I think we are going to come out better. And what a fantastic set of answers. I love how each one of you hit on some different aspect, whether it was payments, whether it was AI, whether it was interest rates and the fear itself, too. I'm just amazed that every time Jerome Powell picks his nose, people panic. And I'm also equally amazed that the interest rate targets, and I'm going to opinionate here a little bit, how much lower do they want to push inflation and push interest rates up before the parts of the economy that are working really well? Employment numbers, for example, just fall through because it was too much. I mean, I early on was very much a skeptic. I think we are going to see a soft landing that looks like it is more of a certainty than ever. But to your point, Anil, we need to stay positive. No matter what the news is, let's worry about what we can control and how we can make a difference. Each one of you doing that in your work, which is why you are here. Now, to the next question, and I think about this a lot in terms of something such as AI, which I love AI, but I wonder, is it a little bit of hype? Is it a shiny new toy? So just in general, whether it's that or some other issue, I would love to know from each one of you whether you think there is a trick looming out there in the form of a hype or some other nothing burger that people have built up into this huge, huge thing. I'll jump in and piggyback here, Jake, here from Clear. I will take a, I guess, slightly contrarian view and say AI and generative AI is underhyped. I think there's a ton of hype around, but my take is super transformational technology, as big as mobile, as big as the cloud. The biggest change in how we interact and interface with software since the GUI interface. The big change here is that we will go from pointing and clicking and tapping and swiping to get things done to just talking to software and computers. And that is a super fundamental change. And I don't know if we've all digested how big of an impact that will have. So I'm going to go generative AI, super hyped at the moment. And my take is underhyped. Very creative answer. I love that. Marcel King with Typhoon. So yeah, I'm going to follow Jake's lead on AIML. I think this is definitely the new toy. There is definitely hype. 
but it is nowhere close to a nothing burger. I think it's probably a quadruple cheeseburger with onions and fries on it. You know, you think about each of the transitions the world has gone through, whether it's the kind of industrial revolution, the technological revolution, et cetera. This is a game changer for so many different industries. And when I think about it, you know, for banking, the ability to leverage AI, ML, generative AI to just make things easier for consumers, businesses in managing their money and their finances and conducting their everyday business. It's interesting, even kind of personally, I've used ChatGPT more over the last, I would say, probably 60 days than, than the first year of this. So it's definitely going to transform the way that we interact with our finance tools, with our business tools, with anything out there that can bring the insight and the efficiency and productivity is going to be leveraging something associated with generative AI. So it's definitely hype. I think it's getting more hype as more use cases are being taken and utilized. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. This is Joel Thomas with Jack Henry. And we did a strategic priorities benchmark survey of our bank CEOs earlier this year. And Lee Weatherington might have shared that with you. I'm not sure. But what we found out is that there is an unrealistic expectation by many banks that they can launch new banking as a service business lines in the short term. Almost half of the bank CEOs said they have banking as a service on their near-term strategic roadmap. The reality on the ground is that only 2.5% of banks currently offer banking as a service. And many of those are struggling due to heightened regulatory scrutiny and compliance costs, as well as significant headwinds facing the fintechs who need those services to operate and survive. Now, while banking as a service will be much more common in the five-year time frame, probably, most banks don't have the resources or even the appetite to stand it up in this environment. Now, circling back around to the Nothing Burgers or AI, thank first-generation chatbots. They have always sucked, but now they're being replaced by generative AI, intelligent digital assistants that can detect nuance and intention. So those first-generation chatbots are being definitively revealed as the Nothing Burger they've always been. I guess I'll go next, Larry Preston, Strategic Resource Management, in terms of a looming trick or a shiny new toy, something that might end up being a nothing burger. This is probably going to be an extremely unpopular opinion, but in my opinion, it's the dreaded card act, credit card competition act. I think with the emergence of all the new payment rails, FedNow, JP Morgan just announced a tokenized collateralized network. There's a regulated liability network. There's all sorts of new rails for making payments a rise in A to A. I think that rather than focusing on you know, losing out on interchange, FI should be focused on leveraging these new payment rails and technology to ensure that they don't lose customer relationships to the fintechs who are leveraging these new payment options. And while debit cards and credit cards aren't going to go away, you know, that technology is 65 years old, it's had a good run, but in my mind, it's time to upgrade, evolve or go the way of the dinosaurs. Lou, this is Anil Goyal from CoreServe. You know, you asked about if there is a shiny toy and hype around it. I think the hype really comes around the use of the toy, not the toy itself. You know, so in financial industry, we've had a number of toys and uh, over the years, whether it's cryptocurrency, NFTs, uh, DeFi, decentralized finance. And, you know, I think the hype just becomes like much about the overpromise of these toys. Take, for example, cryptocurrency, you know, it was presented as a universal solution to all financial challenges and currency. And really hasn't worked out so that's what i think you know around how to use that toy you know if you take that analogy from a child's toy 
you know, it comes with instructions on how to use it safely. It comes with, you know, that it has to be supervised in some cases. And similarly, in a financial tool, you have to understand what the tool's capabilities are. It's not a toy for everything. It has to have an appropriate use case. There has to be some supervision. There has to be some regulations around it. There has to be some safety around it in terms of, you know, cybersecurity or authentications. And I think when we use the toy correctly, when we test the toy that it's working still and figure out what is the right use of it, I think the hype is eliminated. So the hype really just comes around over using that for multiple you know, areas where it was not meant to be. I mean, we talked about generative AI. I think it's a transformative technology and its use is going to continue to grow. But there is a lot of hype around it. And you know, nearly every company claims to use it. And some of the hype is really lack of generative AI, where behind the scenes, it might be just a few rules and folks are claiming it's generative AI. On the other hand, there are you know a lot of people concerned about job losses and displacements, and I think that's also a hype because we've seen over the years a lot of technologies come and go, and the jobs are still around, and we find ways to create jobs in the new age. Absolutely, and I am going to treat you all to something that was written in 2018 about artificial intelligence. This sets the stage for us declaring artificial intelligence as the trend of the year for 2018. For starters, this is what we know. The attention paid to AI over the last 18 to 24 months would certainly have us believe that we've reached a historic tipping point for adoption. 2018. I wrote that. (laughs) I was just ahead of my time. I remember my boss coming up to me afterwards and said, What's all the talk about AI? I don't hear any talk about AI. And I'm like, just wait. (laughs) I think if you look at that time, I mean, you saw Microsoft and Google and all these other big companies calling themselves AI companies at the core. And I think, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, they could see the writing on the wall. I mean, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves a little bit by a few years. I think it's to some extent pretty prescient of the current wave. It certainly is transformational for those big tech players. Absolutely. And I have to say, I'm a huge fan of chat GPT-4. I have it. I use it a lot. I have found it to be a game changer in all of the work that I'm doing. And my hope is that it will be the same for everyone throughout the industry. I really think it can and will be, which segues into the... Bonus candy round question here, but one that I think is really important because Anil talked about staying positive. I think all of you have turned questions that might have been interpreted, let's say, as nothing burgers into something burgers. I really appreciate that viewpoint. So I would love to know if someone came knocking on your door from the industry, trick or treat, what treat would you want to pass on to them? This is Joel Thomas with Jack Henry, and I'll jump in here, Lou. I'll try to maybe tie it into the AI conversations. That's been the theme here. First, don't be afraid to try something new and to try and find an innovative way to do business. So, you know, circling back around AI, in the near term, generative AI assistance will help real human beings at the bank provide higher quality personal service at higher velocities than was ever possible before in branches and over the phone. In other words, Gen AI is inaugurating a new golden era of differentiating on-person service in the digital context. So the divide will be between 
community banks who leverage Gen AI to turbocharge their relationship-based business models and digital contexts and mega banks and direct-to-consumer fintechs who put that technology between them and their customers. Jake from Glee here. I'll take a sort of narrow, very tactical one, but one that I see in my day-to-day all the time. So my little treat that I would pass on to those who run customer support teams at banks would be freedom from those last few customers who still haven't registered for online and mobile banking. So (laughs) we deal with lots of customer support teams and we see that there's a whole bunch of calls every month coming in for people who want to check their balance or get their transactions over the phone. And if you dig in, what you see is that it's really a very small group of customers who call up all the time, you know, a few times a day, a few times a week. So what I give them is freedom from this group who are slow adopters. And I think across a whole bunch of different sorts of technology, if you can get freedom for this last group of laggards, you can move forward and be a lot more transformational. Okay, this is Marcel with Typhoon. And the treat that I would give any financial institution in the country is FedNow instant payments and specifically receive only. And when I think about you know the FedNow network and the impact it's going to have on industry and payments, it is material. And when I think about financial institutions who are kind of in that wait and see mode, I think if you wait too long, it's going to start costing you customers. When you think about the benefits of real-time payments, the benefits are for the beneficiary. It's your consumer account holders, it's your business account holders. And when you think about consumers and their need for money, you know, 62% or so of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They need cash when they need it. Otherwise they're going to go to alternative sources to acquire the cash that they need to organizations like payday loans, where you're paying 30, 40% interest, which puts them in an even worse position. I think about gig workers who are driving Uber who need and want to get money as quickly as possible after you know the end of their shift or at the end of their drive. You look at real-time payments and the growth around the world. You look at India, it went from zero to $2 trillion in payments over seven years. In Brazil, the real-time payments network's picks went from zero to $2 trillion in payments over about a three-year period. And so when you think about what is your impact to your community, it should be thinking about how do you help them manage their money, but also to receive their money faster. Those institutions who don't do that are actually providing a disservice to their customers because as payroll companies and insurance companies and businesses start to move money in real time from the send side, and your customers having to wait two or three days later for ACH transactions to hit their accounts, when other institutions are offering the ability to receive those payments immediately, again, it's going to have an impact on them and likelihood of losing customers. So my gift would be Bet now, instant payments, and receive. At least start there, get in the game. It's low risk, it's lightweight, and you can at least participate and help satisfy what your customers, your members, as well as your account holders, and helping them with their finances. Larry Frost from Strategic Resource Management. My treat would be a little bit like what Marcel was talking about with instant final payment. I'm looking towards the future, and right now, you know, money and other claims are recorded in separate databases or ledgers, and they need to be connected by a third-party mm-hmm. messaging systems like Swift. All those transactions, as bankers will know, need to be reconciled separately and clearing has to occur before transactions are settled. Right now, Bank for International Settlements and a lot of central banks are looking at combining trading, reconciliation, and settlement into one transaction via unified ledgers or some form of blockchain. So we talked about crypto earlier. You know, Crypto aside, don't count out 
that underlying technology, the blockchain, digital ledger technology, it's coming and it's coming faster than a lot of folks realize. This is Anil Goyal from CoreServe. My treat would be the knowledge that we have learned based on our business. We're in the business of helping our clients deepen their relationship through payment cards, particularly credit cards. And we have seen lately that commercial credit cards have been on a rip. And, you know, we've seen a huge growth in commercial credit cards where it's really B2B payments where one company is providing, you know, through virtual cards, through ghost cards, a payment mechanism where their vendor gets paid. It's really a win-win-win situation, I call it, where the company is able to provide that capability which helps in reconciliation, keeps the fraud low, enables them to actually earn some rebate from the bank. And at the same time, the vendor is getting paid on time and has the low cost of you know processing that payment. And it's even more important in a high interest rate environment where they want to get paid quickly. And it's also a huge win for the bank where we are seeing that this product has the highest ROA across all of their products. And so I think that would be my treat. And I would say an additional treat would be that we would have zero implementation fees for some of our programs if the bank was interested. Wow. <laughs> I get to hang out with guys like you. This is so, so cool. And I have to tell you that if I could give out a treat, it's the combined brain power and cooperation and sharing of ideas and at the end of the day you have made this industry a better place gentlemen thank you so much for being on the bankadelic holiday spooktacular thanks lou lou thanks thanks lou thanks lou hey great to be here how about a little halloween sing-songy the candy's eaten and now it's time to go home and get really sick. Special thanks today to the five treatsters who made the Bankadelic Halloween Spooktacular happen. Anil Goyal, the CEO of CoreServe. Marcel King, Chief Commercial Officer at Typhoon. Joel Thomas, Director of Operations at Jack Henry. Larry Pruss, Managing Director, Digital Assets Advisory Services, Strategic Resource Management, and Jake Tyler, GLIA Virtual Assistant Specialist at GLIA. If the great pumpkin ain't going to do it, then I will. A bunch of people to thank. In Chicago, our producer, Ken Montone. In Atlanta, GA, the William Mills Agency, and the Zarina of our holiday podcast episodes, the one and only Catherine Laws. We love you, Catherine! Special thanks as well to the Prince of Men, the King of Phone Tag, our business consigliere, Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Our podcast friends in London, Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery of Dave and Darm Demystify. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. And finally, yeah. Okay, a special thanks to the great pumpkin. Linus believed in him. I believed him too. And so if you're looking for me, I'll be sitting out in the field with my mobile great pumpkin app. You see, that's the way to find him. You gotta be up with the technology. Until next time, 
next Halloween, next Spooktacular. This is Lou Carloso of Bankadelic. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Trick or Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.